Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. Now, raise your hand if you've ever seen a James Bond movie. Okay. There are now 26, 27 James Bond movies. He's in all of them. You don't remember the bad guy, do you? Because most of them die in the first film they show up. Blofeld's been in two. He's the biggest baddie, and you don't even remember his name. So I'm not about to preach about Satan, even though your sermon notes say victory over Satan. Did everybody get sermon notes who wanted them? If not, throw a hand up, and we're going to get sermon notes to you right away. That's great. We ran out. Auditory learners, take the sermon notes you got and hand it to your visual learner friend. You don't need them. It is amazing how little the Bible actually talks about the Satan, the accuser. Does it say stuff about him? Absolutely. But it is really, really clear Who's this book about? Let's be honest. You've watched many an action film where you have paid no attention whatsoever to the character development of the villain because you know he's toast. And so today, I just want to tell you before we even start, this isn't a sermon about Satan. This is a sermon about Jesus' victory over Satan. Okay? So... That was for free. Let me get the. All right, let's do this. If you need a Bible, would you please put a hand up? And volunteers are going to run around and pass out copies of God's Word. I saw five or six of them, but some of you sneaky types might have grabbed one already. And if we run out, I apologize. We've got three entire cases in the office. I just haven't opened them yet. So one right here and one right here. Oh, it's the only one. Oh, my goodness. Okay, we're going to throw a Bible in the middle. You guys are going to wrestle for it. That's the Christian thing to do, right? Okay. Everybody who has a Bible, turn, turn please to Revelation 12. Digital, type it in, whatever you got to do. Um, if you're new to the Bible, look at the table of contents. You're going to see that Revelation is the very last book of the Bible. And I know you're super excited. Oh my goodness, a sermon out of Revelation. This is going to be awesome. I will do the same. All right. So if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know we are in a series, week three out of 10, where we are taking a look at various things that Jesus gained victory over when he laid his life down on a cross to provide forgiveness to sinners like you and me, Victories that he gained on Easter morning when he was raised from the dead. Victories that he achieved, but because he is a loving God, because he is a merciful God, he turns around and gives those gifts to his church. So that those of us who love Jesus, who trust in his blood to wash away our sin, we get to walk in a victory that we didn't purchase for ourselves. It was given as a gift. And uh, when the staff discussed this series, we had almost zero discussion over what the first three sermons would be. Satan, sin, and death are the big ones. Satan, sin, and death, we knew we're going to be the big three. And so here we are at the end of the big three. We're going to talk about, I shouldn't even call it Satan, the Satan, the way it's said in Hebrew. I should have typed in the word the. It means the accuser the one who opposes. Doesn't matter what it is. God initiates and he's against it. Let's take a very brief look at the bad guy. But, oh, I'm sorry, we're gonna read the text first. We're gonna read um, this section of Revelation 12. If you're not familiar, you're about to watch the Christmas story. Merry Christmas, everybody. I know, didn't you wake up this morning and the lovely weather and you're just like, 
oh, I want to snuggle up with some warm cocoa and put a scarf around my neck, even though it's 70-something degrees outside. This is a Christmas text. Read with me. Not like you grew up with. Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns with seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. And her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days. Then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last. Salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the sea, For the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. When the dragon realized that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But she was given two wings like those of a great eagle, so she could fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness. There she would be cared for and protected from the dragon for a time, times, and half a time. Then the dragon tried to drown the woman with a flood of water that flowed from his mouth. But the earth helped her by opening its mouth and swallowed the river that gushed out from the mouth of the dragon. And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children, all who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. Holy Spirit, you've got to teach us the word of God today. Holy Spirit, our 21st century minds want to get bogged down in symbolism. Lord Jesus, we want to distract away from the things that are clear in a text, and we want to spend our time in the minutia that is not clear. And you are stronger than all of those distractions, Lord. So teach us, please. Give us humble hearts, hungry hearts, the desire not simply to be fed, but to be fed good food that nourishes us and changes us and makes us a blessing to others. In the victorious name of Jesus, we pray, and God's people said, amen. Amen. So since you've never seen a Blofeld movie, actually you've seen two of them if you've watched all the Bond films, but you don't even remember, we're going to spend a short time on The Accuser. Every other one of these has a blank, though, for you A-typers, so you grab that pen. He's the one who leads the world astray. Do you want that to be your name, (laughs) what you're known for? The whole world, lead them away from God. Ouch. The accuser of the church. Did you hear in that text that he is standing before the Father continually accusing the church of sin? Holy cow. This is a big deal. What else is he? He is a murderer, Jesus' words, the father of lies. 
One commentator said, if you see Satan's lips flapping, lies are coming out. That's one and the same. He is the enemy of the church in the text we just read. He, got, he calls God's character into question. Not just at tempting of Adam, Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, he does the same thing in Matthew 4 when he's talking to the Son and God. He calls essentially God's character into question. If you are the Son of God, if you are who your father says you are. Like he, he's calling the father a liar. And then offering all kinds of kingdoms and authority to Jesus. Hey, do you want it the easy way? You don't have to do that cross thing. I'll give it to you all right now. He is limited in his power, and the church said amen. If you've read Job, you know this is, a, this is an angel who's basically a dog on a leash. He's way bigger than you. He's way bigger than me. He's way smaller than somebody we know. He steals the gospel from people to prevent faith. This is out of the parable of the sower. The gospel is sown on all different types of soil. But Satan is like a bird that comes and snatches up the seed before it can take root. He does not want people trusting their creator. And he is doomed for eternity. I believe it's in Matthew, but there's a place where Jesus expressly says hell was created for the accuser and the angels that followed him. That's part of what makes it so tragic when a human being decides to go to hell. It wasn't for you, but we choose it all the time, don't we? Okay, so we got our introduction to the bad guy. Now let's talk about what matters. This is a one-point sermon with a whole bunch of practical app on the back end. Jesus gained victory over the Satan, the accuser, by dying for sinners. That's it. That's it. He gained the victory you and I could not have gained if we tried. We weren't fighting with him. The Bible says we were complicit with him. That's the big nugget of Genesis 3. Snake comes along, and we decide to join Team Snake. Yay, this guy's got some good ideas. And that was what we call a bad idea. Let's take a look at our brother Paul, what he said in Colossians. You, Christians, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us, right? You're hearing this legal language? Charges against us? Who are the charges from? The accuser. Are, are they right charges or wrong charges? They were right because God had to cancel them. There's nothing more dangerous in the whole world than the one who is the enemy of my soul going before the Father saying, Greg is guilty for this reason, this reason, this reason, this reason, and this reason, and the accuser is completely right. So what happened? God canceled the record of charges against the church. He took away that record of charges by nailing it to the cross. It seems for once that the accuser wasn't lying. He was rightly telling the father, and you're guilty, and you're guilty, and she's guilty, and she's guilty, and he's guilty. But that father loved the world so much. Right? This is the precursor to, Genesis, to, to John 3.16. The accuser was rightly accusing he wasn't wrong. So he said, I know. Eternal cosmic treason, I know of one sacrifice big enough to pay for that. Jesus, you got this? Yeah, I got this. In this way, through the cross, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them. Defeat your sin. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Because Satan, the accuser, wants to use the things you have actually done, said, and thought. Not so that you feel bad about yourself, but so that you get thrown rightly into hell. 
where he's gonna be for eternity. And don't take it personal. He just hates you because you look like your creator and he hates your creator. It's actually not about you. The writer of Hebrews said it this way, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, so listen to the logic, the argumentation here. God's children were human. The son, Jesus, also became flesh and blood. Why did he also need to do that? I'm glad you asked. For only as a human being could he die. He wasn't capable of dying. The eternal one who has no, do you know Jesus doesn't really have a birthday? Like historians think he was probably born in the spring, physically speaking, but you know he was God eternal before that point? The uncreated one. Holy cow, why do we fight him? He was never born, but we fight him. This makes no sense. Oh, this makes no sense. He's like the OG of OGs. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil. Serious? Yeah. The devil who had the power of death. How do you break the power of death? You go into death, you die, and you stare it in the face and go, no, this has been a lovely weekend, but I'm, I'm done with this. Anybody here ever gone to death? You died and saw, you know, this, this was a nice little Airbnb. A couple of nights in this faraway land called death. I don't like it anymore. I'm coming back. That's authority is what that is. That's authority. That's the central point, and now we're gonna work on living it out. The central point, Jesus gained victory over Satan by dying in the place of sinners like you and me. So let's ask the practical app question, and here's where the meat of our time is gonna be spent. How do I live out the victory over the Satan, over the accuser? How do I live out the victory over him that Jesus achieved. Everything there was theological mumbo jumbo unless we can live it out, unless we can do something with it. It's all very theoretical. In 1955, a magical land opened up. The happiest place on earth, in fact. They invented magic, from what I hear. And Disneyland, for all of the hype, it's obviously a business. They're there to make money. If you've ever been, you know that. <laughs> They're really good at partying you and your money. Had three times the attendance on opening day they had sold. So you do the math. So somebody, or multiple somebodies, bought a legitimate ticket, took it home, studied it, copied as many as they could, and sold them to people in a your employee at the front, if it looks like that ticket, it looks like that ticket. Could you imagine getting a slice? If you think of whatever the uh, single day attendance is at Disneyland, could you imagine doubling it and all of those people paid you, not the mouse? That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. So Walt didn't make as much money on that first day as he had hoped. Had to make it up in churros. <laughs> well, they didn't come to the 80s, so that's too bad. There were no churros back then. You can get into Disneyland in 1955 with a real ticket or with a fake ticket, and you as the consumer don't even necessarily know the difference or care. Is Jesus smarter than a minimum wage employee at Disneyland in 1955? Is he? Okay. When I die and I stand at the gates of heaven, I am going to trust 
whose righteousness and good behavior to get me in. You guys are so good at filling in blanks. Let's go to the next slide. Trust Jesus' blood for your standing before God. Jesus dying on a cross, the death that you and I should have died, but don't have to, after living the life we should have lived, but didn't. I can trust that when I want to be with God for eternity. In fact, it's not really just at the end of my physical life. I'm trusting it now. Right now, eternal life begins now. Or I can have something that looks like Christianity, but it wasn't given to me by the right person. It was a counterfeit. Are you happy with the ticket that you have in your hand right now? Every single one of you has some type of a ticket in your hand right now. Even the, I don't need to be justified because I don't believe in such a thing as sin, I don't believe there's a God, I don't believe there's right and wrong ticket. That's still a type of a ticket. I'm self-justified because I make up my own rules for me and I passed the test that I wrote. Atheism has a ticket. The Baha'i have a ticket. Hinduism has a ticket. Mormonism has a ticket. Are you satisfied? Secular humanism has a ticket. It gives you identity it gives you a relationship with right and wrong. What is my relationship with ethics? Are you happy with the ticket that you have in your hand? Take a look again at verse 11. And they defeated him. Who's the they and who's the him? They is the church. Who's the him? The accuser, the, de the devil. They have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. Wow. So, so God told the church in advance how the victory was ours. I'm gonna defeat Satan by reading yet another book on spiritual warfare. I mean, that might be good. The beginning of the defeat of Satan for the church, according to the Bible, is what ticket's in your hand. Jesus washed my sin away so you don't have anything you can accuse me of. Sorry. Next. Scripture says Satan's a prowling lion seeking whom he may devour. Hey, I know you would like to devour me, but I've been convinced by my pastor and my elders and my second grade Sunday school teacher that I walk in a righteousness that I didn't earn, and so try somebody else. My mind is protected. My soul is protected. My passions are protected. I do not have to worry about the teeth of a lion who cannot devour me. Hey, I know you could have destroyed me if I was walking in my own righteousness, if I was depending on my own good behavior to make me right with God, but I'm not. Because Miss Cindy told me when I was two years old that I have a different ticket. It was purchased by Jesus. And I've walked in that truth my entire life, so go devour someone else. Are, are you happy with the ticket that you have right now? I think we have battery issues. That's all right. So I've mentioned to some of you, if you're new, I um, get the privilege of working with Citrus Heights Little League, and I get to, this is not us, I get to work with the Red Sox, the T-ball team, and uh, we're having a lot of fun. And oh my goodness, if you think you remember being in T-ball as a kid, you don't. Your memories are a curated short list of, you know, getting a, a Capri Sun at the end. Like, you don't remember 
what actually was going on. What was actually going on was many a volunteer grown up going, hit the ball off the tee. Here. No, hit it. Here. Stand here. Put this foot here. Okay. No, not that foot. Okay. No, switch your hand. No, the field's that way. Here, other. I do this every Tuesday and every Saturday. They're lined up this way to hit it straight into the dugout. No, switch your hands this way. This way. Back elbow up. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Hit the ball that way. If it's not between these two big white lines, you don't get to run yet. Right? Hit it that way. And then run to first. And these instructions are given, I'm going to say, between five and seven million times every Tuesday afternoon. Um, hit, and then, then the next Saturday, it's, no, this time we're going to hit the ball. Just like I said, Tuesday and the Saturday before and the Tuesday before and the Saturday before. Like the rules changed in the last four days. Hit the ball and then run to first. And they show up. I'm not joking. Hit the ball and run out vaguely towards shortstop. Throw the bat, heaven help me, trying to get the kids to stop throwing. Staring up, I'm not making this up, one kid did this. Staring up in the heavens and spinning around about five feet from where the pitcher is supposed to be standing. Who told you to hit the ball, run roughly to half spot between where the pitcher and shortstop are, stare at Jesus, and do this three or four, like, you can't make this stuff up. Coach Laura has not told you to, to do the whirling dervish thing. Coach K has not told you to do the, where did you... Stand here. You're going to hit the ball that way. And first, first base is still over there. We didn't move it to be sneaky on you. Since Tuesday, first base hasn't moved an inch. It's still that way. That way. Sometimes it's for the love of everything sacred. Please run. <sighs> and all the grown-ups standing around, rolling our eyes, laughing, commiserating. That's still the ball. You still got to hit the ball. And you need to run to first. Those two basic instructions were given to us in Revelation chapter 12, Verse 11, here's your second blank. Testify that Jesus forgave you. Testify, okay? It's a verb. You tell other people, Jesus forgave me. Verse 11, I'm gonna read it again. The church has defeated Satan, the accuser, by two things. The blood of the lamb and their testimony. What's your victory over Satan look like, Christian? I'll tell you what it looks like. Okay. Jesus forgave me of my sins, not me, and I'm going to go tell the whole world. Hit the ball and run to first. Blood of the lamb, my testimony. Blood of the lamb, my testimony, and the instructions didn't change between Tuesday and Saturday. Blood of the lamb, testimony. Blood of the lamb, testimony. It was the same thing 2,000 years ago. For Christians in Turkey, 1,800 years ago, it was blood of the lamb and their testimony. For Christians in Italy, 1,400 years ago, it was the blood of the lamb, testimony. This is how we defeat the accuser. It's a good thing the rules of defeating the enemy have not changed. Because you and I are thick. 
You and I are real thick. No, I'm sorry. No, you guys are smart. Pastor Greg is thick in the head. You have to say it 500 times. Pastor Greg, you do not do this by my righteousness alone, but what? I dare not trust the sweetest frame. Holy trust in Jesus' name. I'm not going to depend on Greg's righteousness. Greg's assessment of what is good, what is evil, whether he's a good person in his own eyes, is God grading on a curve? None of that. Trust in his righteousness alone and tell the whole world. Trust in his righteousness alone and tell the whole world. I'm so glad the rules don't change. I'm so glad they don't change. One of our core values is go tell people about Jesus. Connect, grow, serve, and go. What's the go? We go tell people about Jesus. You know why? Because after you hit the ball, you run to first. It's what you do. Brothers and sisters, I love you very, very much, but sometimes it's my job to be the bad guy. I want to show you what a lousy church looks like. Are you ready? A doctrinally accurate but disobedient church looks like this. I am saved only by the blood of Jesus. Yay, I got it right. And I'm done. I'm going to stand here. My doctrine is accurate. It's solid. I know Jesus washed my sins clean, but it hasn't occurred to me that I should love you. So I'm not going to run to first. So it's a core value around here, run to first. Did you notice you can't run to first until you've hit the ball? You know that, right? I will never, ever go and joyfully tell you about a savior that I myself have not experienced. So the ball has to be in play or I'm not gonna run to first. One and then two. One and then two. Christians, what are you going to do now that you've hit the ball? You know very well who died on your cross. You've known it for a long time, some of you. Some of you known it for a few weeks or a few months. Some of you have known it for well longer than I've been alive. What are you going to do now that you've hit the ball? Because Jesus shows up in this miraculous vision to his good friend John when he's old and he tells us a number of things. And Jesus doesn't lie. And one of the things he revealed to John is, you know how the church is gonna defeat the accuser? The blood of the lamb and their testimony. The blood of the lamb and their testimony. What are you gonna do now that you've hit the ball? In the first Avengers movie, there's a really funny clip. There are these alien invaders attacking New York, like what happens, you know, that happens all the time. If movies were right, New York would be destroyed many times over at this point. I don't know what filmmakers have against New York, but uh, DC doesn't fare much better. But Captain America, bad mama jamma that he is, quickly issues orders to these NYPD that are nearby. It says, hey, we're going to have to get people who are in these buildings, they're about to rush out of here, these buildings in terror, and straight into the line of fire. You've got to keep them inside, get them down into the subways or down into the basement. You've got to keep them away from this fight. I want to set up a perimeter all the way back to 34th. And so he starts issuing these orders, and this cop goes, And why should we listen to you? He doesn't say, why should we listen to you? I'd be showing the clip if it didn't have a bad word. He said, why should we listen to you? And just then, three gargantuan aliens that are probably nine feet each come and attack, and Captain America takes one out with just like a punch across the face, and the other one rips his arm off and hits the other alien with the last guy's leg. It's, It's amazing. The whole thing's over in about two and a half seconds. Ta, 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 and he's done. And then the cop looks up and goes, we need to get these people down into the basements. We've got to set up a perimeter back to 34th Street. I mean no disrespect to America's finest, 
but they don't know what they're supposed to do if there's a nine-foot alien that's destroying everything in sight. That's not in their training. Captain America needs no training. He's Captain America. Thor needs no training. The Hulk, Hulk smash. I mean, come on. He needs no training. When are we going to figure out that we are still standing arrogantly with our hands on our hips, telling Jesus, why should I take orders from you? When the accuser and death and sin came at him all at once, and he took one of them out with a single punch. He ripped the second one's arm off and killed the last one with the arm of the second. In a weekend, 2,000 years ago, Satan, sin, and death were defeated and doomed forever. And you and I are still standing there going, why should I listen to you? The cop didn't have to be told a second time. <laughs> it was really logical. You have defeated foes that I could not have defeated if I tried. That's why. Let me ask you an important question. Did Captain America, amongst other things, did he save the lives of those police officers when he defeated those aliens? Yeah, the aliens were killing everybody. They were attacking and killing everybody. When you defeat these foes, you're saving everybody around. Jesus saves, and he does it in a very, very violent way, a way that costs him everything. So your third way to live out the victory Jesus achieved, make disciples. Make disciples. Look at what Jesus said right after he defeated three enemies. He came and told his disciples, his followers, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Now stop for a second and, and read that in its context. He didn't just go on holiday and come back from his vacation and say, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. No, he demolished Satan, sin, and death, and we watched him do it, and now he comes up to the podium, so to speak, and he would like to share a few words. Is this a good time to listen? And the first thing off his lips I have been given all authority. Okay, so that's backhanded. Who's he referring to? If Jesus was just given the authority, who gave it to him? God the Father, the only one who can. Who had the authority before Jesus had it? The accuser. The accuser had all authority to rightly before the father say, she is guilty and he is guilty and she is guilty and she is guilty and he is guilty. And that authority has been ripped away. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. That's big. So what am I gonna command you out of my authority? So glad you asked. Therefore, because of that, be, like that therefore is critical. Because of the authority I've been given. Not a suggestion, not a cute idea, not a, I've got nothing better to do, so I'm going to go on this mission trip. No. Because of the authority that I have been given by defeating Satan, sin, and death, the place the Father gave for me is victorious. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age.
Christians, how do I live out the victory over the Satan that Jesus achieved? I make disciples. He died so that we could make more disciples. He was raised on the third day so that we could make more disciples. Or John 4 language, the Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. He is trying to unleash worship in his creation the way it was in the garden where we saw our Father perfectly for who he was and lived in right relationship with him. No death and no suffering, no distrust, no rebellion. Jesus came to unleash faith in image bearers. We don't make disciples because it's a warm, fuzzy feeling. We don't make disciples so Jesus will love us more. Christians, go make other Jesus followers. We encourage and teach and encourage and teach. We do that, at least in part, because Jesus went to a cross for the privilege. So this is my Gabe's. My second born Gabriel was two and a half. This was, of course, last fall because apparently it's a sin to go to Apple Hill when it's not the fall. Let me ask you a question. When you're not yet three feet tall, is it safe to cross the street? Any votes for no? A lot of no votes. Any votes for yes? I've got a Cindy. One yes vote. And again, the important third category, who's convinced that Pastor Greg has yet another trick question for me, so I'm not gonna answer. Okay. The fact of the matter is many, many, many children have safely crossed the street How does it happen safely? The thing is, I don't have the wisdom, the perspective, or the experience to cross a street safely by myself. But any halfway reasonable loving adult can easily take me across a street at a time that's safe. Maybe I'm so little that they just pick me up and carry me. Maybe I'm big enough that I can walk and we'll hold hands. The point is, there are certain tasks, although they need to get done, and they could theoretically be safe tasks. We need to go over there. We're going over to the neighbor's house. There are some things that are safer. With who? Mom, dad, auntie, uncle, grandma, grandpa. Loving, caring adult. Some tasks are too big for just me. And that's why Jesus ended the Lord's Prayer the way that he did. You want to defeat the tempter? You ask the Father to rescue from the tempter's temptations. Jesus said flat out at the end of the Lord's Prayer, you're gonna need daddy for this one. And he didn't change his mind later. He did not later say, hey, uh, you can handle the devil on your own now. That what, I, what I said about prayer earlier, that was just for a season, but I've changed my mind. You're, you're good to go on your own. And so when the very first of our vision statements when we start off saying that we believe we see God leading us to become a people defined by prayer. That is not to get spiritual notches in our belt so we feel better about ourselves as at a church. This is for survival. You and I get chewed up and spit out as it relates to doing the things that Satan loves for us to do. It's called sin, rebellion against the most high. We get chewed up and spit out on the regular 
because we trod it, crossed that street on our own. It's not that crossing a street is bad, it's that this just, we need daddy for this one. This is what's so weird about the Christian sexual ethic. Christians aren't saying sex is bad. We're saying that our father has, out of his love, given us a context for it. You're gonna need daddy for this one. He's gonna give you the context for how this is done. And you and I try to live the Christian life prayerless sometimes. And when we walk in victory, we sometimes find, huh, I've been begging God for this. Huh, and why am I surprised I got victory? (laughs) Huh, look at this. And don't let us yield to temptation. So who's the active party? If, If I'm considering yielding, who's the active party? The tempter. The tempter is tempting, and I can choose to yield. Do I give right of way? I don't have to initiate. Who can testify that you don't have to drum up different sinful ideas? They can just come. I'm on the defense. There's a reason that the armor of God is mostly defensive armor. The fiery arrows of the devil are going to come whether I want to pretend or not. Fiery arrows are coming. Oh, no, I'm fine. Next episode. Don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us. So who's the rescuer? Oh, man, that doesn't sound like the good old American bootstraps. I thought you were supposed to pull yourself up. I thought you got this. Well, you don't got this if you open this book and you give it credence. Rescue us from the evil one. Father, he wants us to betray you. Father, he wants us to distrust you. Father, he wants us to take things in our own hands. Help us. God, I confess that this one, I'm I'm gonna need your help, Father. So we're gonna take a moment to reflect. Band, if you'd come help us, that'd be great. If you're new and you're exploring the faith, I want you to ask yourself this question during this reflection time. Are you happy with the ticket you have in your hand right now? Right now, you justify yourself, you declare yourself a good person and you've got an argument. That argument is your ticket. Are you happy with it? Christianity offers a different ticket if you're not satisfied with the one you have. If you already love Jesus, I want you to ask yourself a question. What are you gonna do now that you've hit the ball? You've hit it. Your doctrine is solid. You know who your savior is. You know how you're going to be admitted into heaven by the blood of Jesus alone. Now what are you gonna do about it? You are not victorious over a giant red dragon by the blood of the lamb. If that's What was true, that's what Jesus would have told you. What Jesus told you and what Jesus told me is that we are victorious by the blood of the lamb and by our testimony. That's what he chose to say. Let's spend a couple of minutes thinking and praying about whatever question applies to you. And I'll be back in a moment to share a couple of things going on in the life of our church.
few things going on in the life of our church. What makes the vegetables in your garden healthy? Sunlight. Good soil. Hmm? Water. Weeding. Sunlight, yep. Okay. There are things in this life that you cannot make them grow. But you can work around to create a great environment. Are you with me? Anybody ever wished your tomatoes, you had to pray multiple prayers for your tomatoes because it just wasn't going to work? Okay, you cannot make anything grow. I cannot make anything grow. We can prepare the soil. We can trim back trees to make sure there's plenty of sunlight. We can keep a good watering schedule. We can keep away pests and we can weed. All kinds of things that we can do. And tonight at my house at five o'clock, you're invited to learn how to create great conditions for a human being to grow and flourish. If you're interested in learning how to facilitate a summer disciple group, if you're interested in hosting, opening up your home, I want you to show up at my house tonight at five. The pizzas are gonna be supplied. I just ask you to bring a salad or a drink, something like that. I apologize, I did not set up childcare. I'm a loser. Um, I tried, I really do try to be good about setting up childcare and I just didn't do it. Um, but tonight we are going to break some bread and we're gonna sit down and strategize. We're gonna, chapters 24, 25, and 26 from Cloud and Townsend's Making Small Groups Work. I'll have extra copies there if you don't have a copy. And we're going to discuss together three elements of how you grow a human being inside a group. Grace, truth, and time. Grace, truth, and time. So even if you're not interested in coming tonight, if you happen to think of us at around five o'clock tonight, would you please pray for the hosts and facilitators of summer disciple groups? We're gonna be having this conversation tonight. How do we help foster a healthy situation for disciples to love God more, love each other more, and love the world more? How do we foster that kind of growth? And so um, that's what's gonna be happening tonight. Again, if you want to come, totally awesome. Please bring a salad or a drink, something like that. The pizzas are taken care of. Secondly, this is Henry. Does everybody remember Henry from last week? Um, Henry has grown quite obnoxious as of late. He's living at the back of the parking lot. I don't know if I told you guys that. He's, he's out in the back 40. And um, he started calling people mean names as they walk by and generally not having the best Christian testimony uh, that we would hope to have here on ARCF property. So um, I was told by animal control the only way to get Henry to go away is to chop back the brush so he has nothing to eat. So hereby you are invited to our beautification project on Saturday. We're gonna chop back all of Henry's food so that he goes away. 9 a.m. this Saturday morning, kid-friendly, bring gloves. We've got some bushes and trees and some things to just kind of get control over. You know, spring is here, right? Anybody tried to go into a Home Depot or a Lowe's in the last three weeks and come out with your life? Oh, my goodness. It's like Walmart on Black Friday, except they're holding pitchforks and shovels for the right reason. Anyway, um, I really do want to encourage you, please look at your calendar and prioritize it. If you don't put it in your calendar, you probably won't be there. Um, many hands make for light work. And if we could get, I would love it if we could get 25. We, we one time a couple years ago had 24 people show up and it was really, we, we made quick dispatch of that work. It was great. And so um, if you are remotely able, please do come. We're going to make everything really pretty um, so that we are proud of the facility that uh, the Lord has allowed us to own. This here, this is how excited you are going to be. Tomorrow, when you check your inbox, and there's an email from Pastor Greg that tells you, here are all the summer groups being offered. I didn't get my act together. I really wanted to have signups at the back ready to go this morning, and I just don't have it. tonight. I needed to have tonight's meeting earlier in the month. 
After tonight's meeting, the leaders will have nailed down what groups we're going to be able to offer, and this will be your face. It's going to be amazing. So check, check your inbox tomorrow. I'm going to shoot out, hey, here are the groups that are being offered for May, June, July. Miss Sherry, we had one more announcement. Talk to me. Sign up, sign up, sign up. <laughs> so Miss Sherry, because she is responsible, she does have actual sign-ups at the, ready? Sign-up table. Oh, you guys are good. You guys are real good. It's like they put up a sign or something. Um, so sometimes my job as leader is to say things that are uh, either, hopefully not harsh, but tell us things that we need to know, that we don't always want to know. You guys with me? Sometimes I have to say things. No? I've got two of you that are with me right now. So I want to issue a challenge. We, we skipped a year because of COVID, but we had a trajectory before COVID that was both exciting and not exciting, and I just want to let the church family know this by way of feedback so we can do better, so we can grow. We had two consecutive Bible day camps. Between one and the other, the attendance of children, are you ready? You remember? Doubled. Doubled. And the workers was about the same 30 people at both events. Same 30, okay? I'm not saying that to go back in the time machine two years and wag my finger at you. I'm saying that to say, if the Lord is going to bring the harvest, we're going to ask the Lord to send workers into the harvest. So I'm not telling you to go sign up. What I am telling you is I'm praying to a very, very big God that he will convince you that you need to sign up. Because I don't know how to get you to sign up. I've tried. But I'm going to pray to a very, very big God. And Miss Sherry's praying with me. Because if, if we had 30 and had a successful Bible day camp, and then the next year had the same 30 workers and double the kids, by my math, that's 60 grown-ups. Right? Let's be honest. Nobody wanted me to say that number out loud because that's pretty much all of us. That's 60 grown-ups. So here's what I want you to do. Here's what I'm asking you to do. One of two things. I want you to go and sign up because you know you can help. And of course, this is during or the work day. I get it. If you've got a job and you're holding it down, that's great. I want you to go to talk to Miss Sherry anyway if you work during the day and can't be there. Here's why. I promise with my hand on an entire stack of King James Bibles, I promise that Miss Sherry can rattle off three or four or 17 things that your skill set might be able to bring to bear to help this ministry in some way. In preparation in advance, I don't know, maybe we have a prayer team during, right? You're at work all day, but you say, I'm gonna spend 30 minutes of my evening with the word of God open to Deuteronomy 6, begging God to save children. That would be a good ministry, wouldn't it? Brothers and sisters, if you call ARCF your home, you have a ministry related to Bible Day Camp. You do. And if you're not sure what it is, please talk to Miss Sherry. Please talk to me. We will come up with stuff. It's not that hard. Beforehand, after the fact, and during, there is so much good work to do. All right? That was a very tired and exhausted amen. From two years ago, some of, some of our people are like, I'm still tired from, from 2019. I'm gonna pray for us. How's that sound? Lord Jesus, if you do nothing else, make us the exact people that you want us to be. In your strong name we pray. God's people said, Amen. Love you guys.